I think I've been lamenting on this recently that maybe we have to readjust our timelines. That's another fundamental principle in environmental economics that sometimes benefits, they really do take years to realize, especially in environmental projects, right? Yeah. So we have to be patient and we have to realize or we have to trust in the ecosystem in actually reviving itself. And I keep saying this, actually, you know, the corals in the Philippines, they're like weeds. <laughs> if you just <laughs> remove the source of stress, stress. yeah. yeah. if you just remove the source of stress, they can, you know, unless they don't have a source for new coral recruits, yes. like wala nang nearby coral reef that will recruit it can recover. It will bounce back in a few years, more than in other places. The Ask Theory podcast shines the spotlight on Pinoy scientists from various scientific disciplines. Listen to some of the country's best scientific minds as they explain what they do in simple terms and share fascinating stories of how they got into science, the incredible things they've learned about the world around us, and so much more. Hi, Tara. Hi. Kumusta? <laughs> hey lang. Yeah, actually, I just got back from the protest in UP. So, uh-huh. yeah, fresh from there. It's Human Rights Day, International yes. Human Rights Day. So I went with Agham. A little bit hot from the protest, <laughs> but this should cool me down. Yeah, I actually saw your update on social media and I was like, okay, may rally pa lang ngayon. Uh-oh. And I'm very grateful that you were able to make time for this podcast interview. No problem. So as our listeners can tell, you are a very passionate person. And, you know, most scientists I've talked to them are passionate about science and about the causes that they believe in, the causes that they uphold. And we're going to get into that in this interview. And I'm really excited to talk more about things you've been doing. But to get things started, I'd like our audience to know a little more about you. So can you tell us a bit about your journey as a scientist? how you fell in love with science, and what are the things that you're currently doing? What are the things that are keeping you busy right now, especially in this difficult pandemic era? I actually was not really so much into it until later on in life. So I didn't Uh get to go to like a science high school or something, or I didn't even, yeah, for all intents and purposes, my undergrad was not really science-oriented. I took up economics in Ateneo and it was you know how your parents choose for you <laughs> that yeah. sort of thing yeah, yeah so <laughs> my mom it was very important for her for me to do business and buti na lang po kanya yung economics like she thought economics is business enough no so sige okay let's go there okay um, that was but after graduating I got into diving so I, I got into free diving first actually Siguro mga two years ako dun sa just freediving very often, almost every weekend. And it really got me interested in doing it as a career. Actually, ang gusto ko sana was marine science. Oh. Kaso, yeah, freediving, tapos marine science. And then, which led me to become a research assistant in the Marine Science Institute sa UP. So I saw the job post and I was like, oh, okay, I can, I can apply. And I knew full well that it was very competitive. <laughs> but I was like, okay, so yeah, let's go. Let's shoot. I just shoot my shot. And then ako pa, if you look at my first email to my boss, 
magaling po ako mag-dive. Tapos, I know the names of these ano, animals. <laughs> wow. But actually, they were looking for a social scientist. So, so tama-tama. My background in economics was swak naman doon. And then, later on, after the research project was done, I was like, Sir, I want to... I was talking to my PI. If you know Porfirio Alinio, so Perry Alinio, he's into marine protected areas. No? So I asked for his guidance if I should take my MS in marine science. And he actually said to me, I think if you want to make more impact, you should stay in economics further your studies there, and then apply it to marine science, right? So, so I ended up doing my master's in economics, but in full circle, <laughs> yeah. <di ba? laughs> yeah. But yeah, basically, that's the first couple or three years of my research career. And then now I'm full into like so the social science aspect of fisheries and marine environmental conservation. So, yeah. That's a really good story because you basically parang took a deep dive into economics and found a way to apply that in a scientific way for marine conservation. And that marriage of two disciplines, when we think of science, kasi we think, ah, okay, scientist kailangan, like hard sciences lang, or like, kailangan ang course nito, physics, chemistry, ganyan. Pero we can really see na science as, as part of life, talagang multidisciplinary siya. It's not just yung kailangan may background ka or may formal degree ka as a scientist. Mm-mm. Yes. <laughs> Yeah. Pero I'm curious, if you could like take everything that you want to accomplish as someone who applies your discipline in the sciences, what would you say is your mission? Like in just one sentence. One sentence, because I have like two. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm saying <laughs> so, I'll tell you both and then just choose the one that you like more. <laughs> yeah, so the first one is, I actually tweeted about this, so parang very bold accountability statement, but I said that I really wanted to change how environmental economics is being done here in the Philippines. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And then the second one is make science a viable career. At the time, for my little sister, because she wanted to be a physicist, but of course, you realize that it's systemic, right? So it's like, okay, for the next generation of young scientists. Yeah. I'll take both. <laughs> Ang ganda. Sige. That whole mission statement. Kasi it not only encapsulates what I think nga is the problem. Like, I agree with you. Talagang systemic siya. But also, it echoes like the sentiment of pretty much all of the scientists that I've talked to in these episodes. But let's circle back to pre-diving. Kasi it's interesting how you this hobby, this passion of yours, and then parang nakahanap ka ng avenue for marine conservation to apply it in this broader setting. So, how exactly does free diving become a medium for marine conservation? Good question. So, you know that I started off with free diving, and I think it was a very good avenue, at least in my experience, to start making you more aware of what's going on under. So, I don't know if you, you're familiar, but when you want people to act or when you want people to move for a cause, for example, the three things that you must do in succession, the first one is arousal or to entice people and then awareness. So more of education, like about what particularly aroused them and then action. So those three things in succession 
sana. You start off with enticement, with arousal, with, oh, what's this? What's going on? Diba? And I think freediving is a powerful tool to be able to do that. One, syempre, it gets you in the water. It gets you closer to marine life. It gets you closer even to issues that threaten marine life. No? But second, because it's less expensive than scuba, so it's more accessible, okay. basically. Because yeah. ang, ang traditional route, mag scuba ka, and then you can see all the marine life and stuff. But yes, oh, lalain photography. No, mga I know a lot of my friends are, ano, like into scuba diving because of the taking pictures of all that cool-looking marine life. Yeah, exactly, right. But unfortunately, not everybody has access to scuba, no, especially yeah. in rural communities that live right next to the shore. But they do have access to free diving. It's Sisid, mm-hmm. basically, right? In Tagalog? Yes. <laughs> Pagsisisid. Uh, <laughs> Pagsisisid, yes. So there, that's how I got into it. And that's how I think in my classes, I am able to at least pique the interest of people who wouldn't otherwise have um, access to underwater life. Yeah, I, ang ganda kasi when you were explaining how yung freediving becomes a great tool for you know, yung arousal, awareness, and you know inspiring them to act. I remembered my conversation with a scientist from the California Academy of Sciences, C. Meg Burke. During one of their visits to the Philippines, she told me about how conservation efforts nila, like they're here to study species of marine life and to promote coral reef conservation. But also an important part of that is involving the community in those conservation efforts. And one observation that she shared with me was that she found it interesting that there were a lot of people who live near these bodies of water but don't know how to swim. Mm-hmm. And that taking that first step to, you know, teaching them how to swim, kahit yung ganun lang, it really like gets the ball rolling. So it, it really starts their interest in becoming more involved with the general goal of marine conservation. When they're able to see and appreciate these things for themselves, sabi mga kanina, accountability statement, they become more willing participants. They take on this responsibility and decide that, hey, I will be one of the caretakers of these beautiful things around me. I will be accountable for keeping them alive for future generations. So, ang ganda. From what I've read sa work mo, or you know, what you've done in the past few years, napansin ko you had founded an organization or started this movement called Kapit Sisid. So, can you tell us a bit about how that was formed, what its mission is, and what you're currently doing right now? Yeah, actually, it's nothing formal. Kapit Sisid is actually just parang project lang ng friends ko before. So, mm-hmm. so, the backstory of that is I was in my first research assistant job in MSI. I went to this place, it's called Zamboanga, Sibugay, if you've heard of that province. So, parang sobrang involved ang community in their conservation efforts. Like the Menro, the municipal environment officer, he really makes the steps to bring the community, the fishing community there, closer to the ocean and have them actually lead the development efforts there. So, I was studying them, of course, for their efforts. No? Tapos, syempre, pag katapos nun, siguro I was there for cumulatively a couple weeks or to a month. And then, syempre, pag alis mo doon, parang sasabihin sa'yo, ma'am, sige, mag-Facebook friends tayo, ganyan. Tapos they saw my, <laughs> they saw my photos, okay. free diving. And sabi nila, ma'am, paturo naman, o, oh, ganyan. So, uh-huh. sabi ko, at that time, I was like, okay, sige. 
Sige, let's do that soon. Tapos, when I got back to Manila and I studied all of the data that I gathered there, parang I realized that one of the things that we need support with is actually, kasi they were still using scuba, diba, to monitor their very, very healthy reef. They won first place sa Marine Protected Area Awards mm-hmm. that year, 2015. Yeah. Kasi sobrang ganda nung, nung reef nila. So, one of the things that needed improvement, I guess, was just in the way that they conducted the surveys. Parang I felt like there was too much cost or budget going into their monitoring. Mm-hmm. When very free-divable yung mga reefs. So, it's like, hey, it actually checks out because they can use that skill for monitoring. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's go back. I told a few friends of mine that had the same interests as me. And they were crazy enough to say yes. And we went back for a weekend, uh-huh. <laughs> including a freediving instructor. The first freediving instructor na Filipino, si Carla Navarro. He said, yes, definitely. Let's go and teach them freediving. And so they were certified in that weekend. So the municipal environment officer, si Felix Badon, who became my very good friend. And then his team sa environment office. Just mga bantay dagat. Until now, so four years later, they train in Buluan Island. <laughs> so, wala lang. Natutuwa lang ako because they use it also now for tourism. Wow. Yeah. When they have guests over, they kind of show them their moves. <laughs> <laughs> the moves. The free diving moves nila, But also for safety for the, their guests. No? Uh-huh. So, you know, I never intended to make it like a thing, really. We just made a name for it. My friend... She said, how do we get money for it? No? Yeah. So we just fundraised wala, on our own, Facebook friends, family, ganyan. So we made a name, Kapit Sisid. Tapos after the Zavuanga Sibugay project, parang a lot of my friends in freediving, they were professionals. Ah. They were so relentless to say, I want to do a project like this also in these areas. It's like, okay, it's again, let's go. <laughs> Parang ako na lang yung naging bridge between freediving professionals and mga marine conservation on the ground, no marine conservation groups, including local governments, ganyan. Tapos, recently, I haven't been doing any projects that brought freediving professionals and conservation groups together because of the pandemic, of course. I've focused more on yung mga marine scientists who want to train to become Divers, para lang to augment the skill that they have na hindi lang scuba for, you know, when they go on field and stuff. So that's where I focused on in the past few years. I'll tell you more about it later. That's a very exciting project that I was a part of a couple of years ago. Yeah. Pero yun, parang more of from on the ground, mga bantay dagat, mga LGU staff. I focused more on yung mga marine scientists talaga who wanted to go into freediving. Yeah. That sounds like a really exciting line of work, lalo na for me na hindi marunong lumangoy. I don't know how to swim. <laughs> so kanya, nung kinukwentohan ako ni Dr. Meg ng tungkol dun sa mga tinuruan niyang maglumangoy, parang ako tinamaan ako, parang, I, I don't know how to swim. Pero, okay, I, I guess I still have time to learn. I should. I mean, mm. I live in the Philippines, pero I owe it to myself to learn how to swim at least. Let's talk a little bit about living in the Philippines, no? Specifically, if you're a STEM worker, here in the Philippines. So, we, because, yeah, and I know this is a, like a really broad discussion. And dami natin mapag-uusapan dito. But, siguro, can you tell me a bit about what you think it's like, uh, or based on your experience, how it's like to work in STEM 
here in the Philippines? Like, you know, the good and the bad. Yes, that's a can of worms there. <laughs> <laughs> if ever, if you want me to get into it, really. Sumula tayo sa good. <laughs> good? Okay, sige. Here in the Philippines, at least in my, so caveat, I don't really work in a lab lab, mm-hmm. you know, the, the same way that maybe chemical engineers would work in a lab. So I don't have a wet lab to work in. It's more stats, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it's like, economics and stuff. But I do have to be on the field more often than your regular desk data analyst. And I think that, in at least in my experience, in the labs that I've been a part of, they prioritized the people that they get data from. Mm-hmm. Basically, it was very important for the labs that I work with to have the community there at every step of the research process. So from the inception of the project to data collection, if it's possible, and then validation of the findings, and then of course, presenting the final output, right? So each of those has a line item in the budget. (laughs) It was very important, yeah, to go back to those areas and say, hey, this is the progress Mm -hmm. of the research. And so I took that with me, now that I'm leading some of my own research projects now, I took that with me, that placing importance on having the community be part of the research. As an aside, I was applying for PhD this year. It's also community science related. And they asked me to elaborate how I would do it. Mm-hmm. And I would just put the steps. This explicitly that, of course, the Fisher folk will be there. They will be doing the data collection. They'll be doing the analysis. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. Tapos, parang, they were surprised that I would take that for granted because apparently for other institutions or even other countries, it's not a given ah. that you would include. Yeah. Wow. Diba? So I'm not sure if that's even a Philippine thing, mm-hmm. you know, Philippine lab thing, but I was in UPMSI and then now I'm in UP Center for Integrative Development Studies and that's the way that it's done. It's always you know, with the people you collect data from or the study site. Inclusive. Inclusive, yes. (laughs) Exactly. So it's a very inclusive scientific process, I think, that you don't really find, I guess, in other places. So I like that very much. And it shapes the way that I handle not just my research projects, but also any other project that I do for development. So yeah, so that's the good. And then the bad, I guess, I can go ahead and yes. jump into it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sh- pretty sure you've heard this already from a lot of STEM workers. It's a lot to do with salary delays uh-huh. and, of course, problems with procurement, the red tape. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't need to elaborate, I think, but it's really a systemic problem and one that we're trying to paint a picture of. Like we're doing research now on it. So with Agham Diliman, of which I am the education and research committee head. So we're partnering with the STEM Alliance of UP Diliman, Anakbayan College of Science in UP, and then also Propel, their engineers. And we're trying to get to the bottom of it. We're actually figuring out that it's not the case for everybody, for all science and research institutes. Mm -hmm. I don't know yet what the problems are. But we do 
want to get to the bottom of it so that we can recommend ways to be able to mitigate no the very bad consequences on STEM workers. It's the STEM workers who ano eh, who absorb all of that delay, yeah. diba? Because if we don't fix it, we're not going to have a science sector to speak of. Mm. We're not going to be able to develop our research sector. And that has really profound consequences, as you already know, <laughs> on our development as a country. So, yeah. Yeah. And I really want to know more about this. Kapag, you know, when you're done with your, I hope you'll share your research with us. Like, you can contact us. You know how to reach me, naman. Because this is a problem. Yung sa procurement, yung sa salary. It's, it's a problem I've been hearing about for years. As in, even nung early days ko as a science journalist, even before we thought about putting up this podcast and talking to scientists, baka yung mga ini-interview kong scientists back then from almost a decade ago, tinatanong ko parang, kumusta po ba maging scientist dito sa Philippines? And they would say na, yun it's the bureaucratic processes and the, the, the delays <laughs> and the salary and funding. And yung word na procurement nga, I, it's a word that I didn't think I would hear so often. Pero apparently is a problem with a lot of scientists I've talked to. So like we've been saying, it's a systemic problem. It really has to be solved. It's really it baffling to me na ang tagal-tagal ng ganito. Hindi naman to, I hope no one gets the impression na naninisi tayo ng gobyerno. Yeah. Puro kayo naninisi sa gobyerno, ganyan. Puro kayo reklamo. <laughs> Pero the thing is, if you don't raise these issues, they'll just continue. And if you don't find out what's causing them, you'll never be able to solve them. Correct. Diba? Yeah. It's getting to the point where you cannot have a family and be in... You know, STEM. STEM. Unless you move up and have managerial roles, diba? Medyo mas admin role ka na. So, pero parang, diba? Gets? Like, yeah. That's why we don't see inclusive facilities in research institutes for, let's say, breastfeeding mothers, for example. Or, you know, because it's not the demographic, <laughs> diba? Yeah. You cannot support the family. With- that's true. And nagtataka tayo why so many scientists decide to pursue, you know, a career abroad. Yeah, exactly. The reason why is because it isn't exactly friendly for them here. Like, you can argue na, yeah, I'm helping the people. I'm helping build a better Philippines. Like, on an emotional level, I'm sure it feels fantastic to be able to give back to the country. Pero mm. you can't do that if you're dead. Uh, just being <laughs> blunt about it. Diba? If you can't sustain your day-to-day expenses, if you can't raise your family properly here yeah. na talagang makapag-provide ka for them. How can you do your science? How can you work on your science? Correct. And, you know, that's just even like super basic. Just the... Yes. Diba? Parang just getting your compensation. Oh, parang nagtatrabaho ako the least I could expect from the work I render. But to get paid on time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're not even talking about like more of the you know, smart shaming and then diba, parang Ay, that nako. we're not investing yeah, enough. Diba? That's not it. Eh? Because yeah. <laughs> it's Uh-oh. just process. Oh my God. Did you hear about that new system alliance? They did a preliminary survey last year. And I think the worst na nakuha nilang delay was like 17 months. Na hindi sinwelduhan. Wow. Yeah. Man, That's how bad it was. I actually believe that because I'm not going to name the, of course, I'm not going to name the scientist and I'm definitely not going to name the agency. But I know someone na nag-aantay na ng, yeah, nag-aantay ng taon sa delay ng kanyang release ng funding niya. And the sad thing is this person actually got hospitalized last year or within the last 12 months. Siyempre, I, I won't share details na baka, baka may makakinig dito tapos nakilala siya. Pero... <laughs> This person, you know, had to pay for yung hospital expenses niya 
Habang inaantay pa niya yung sweldo niya na hindi pa dumarating. So that's just so sad. That's so heart-wrenching. Yeah. Exactly. So kahit sabihin mo, oh yeah, you're gonna get it naman. You know, eventually. But... Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> sana buhay pa ako. <laughs> parang ganyan. Not to make light of this, pero it's the truth. Parang sana buhay pa ako pag nakuha ko yan. Or, you know, sana makuha ko at all. But, yeah, para naman hindi ma-depress or masyadong malungkot yung mga nakikinig sa atin. Sorry. Because... Well, it's the reality naman eh. And I really think that if we focus on this, we can talk for hours about this. Pero ano naman natin, konting uh, on the bright side of things. As, as someone who actively works with these communities, I'm sure you have a lot of like really good stories to, to share mm. about involving these rural communities in environmental conservation. So maybe you can share like one or two of your favorite stories. So yeah, yes, I mentioned it briefly earlier. I'll, I'll mention two. So mm-hmm. Yung first has something to do with freediving pa rin. So I was very lucky to be part of this project of the De La Salle University Marine Lab. Dia Las Shore, yung name ng lab. And they invited me to check this invention that they were making for monitoring reefs. So it's basically, if you know how marine scientists survey reefs, they have a monopod. It's just so that you have a sense of scale of the thing that you're taking a picture of. You take a picture of it and then you analyze what's on it. So you can see what the health of the reef is, right? You do it on scuba, first of all. And then you'd have what is called an andador. You know what the babies use diba, to walk? Yung parang nasa gitna ah. sila. It looks like that. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay, okay. Yung parang walker thing. Yes. Yeah, that parang bakal na ano. Yeah, exactly, okay. the walker thing, right? And they use that so that they can measure square meter. So one by one, diba? Mm-hmm. But it's so bulky. And if you're freediving, maybe a shallow reef, you can't use it because it's too madrag siya in the water. So DLSU Shore wanted to come up with a monopod that would allow freedivers to do the same thing that a scuba diver surveyor would do. And so I checked the design and the use of that monopod. And I'm very happy to say that it's patent pending. So that's one patent for the <laughs> Philippines. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Um, if you know, if you know the patent issue, let, let's not go there. But yeah, that's <laughs> one patent for Philippines. It's a coral monitoring, parang photography monopod at yung name ng device, and I'm one of the inventors, so it's very cool. Yeah. And then recently, I just came from the Bo Batangas. I certified thirteen of its Mantaydagat and environmental officers. Because uh-huh. they were going to, actually, they're going to be surveying next week, Monday to something. Yeah, so I just certified them in freediving and they have licenses. So that's pretty cool, diba? As someone who, normally, I would be certifying actually fisher folk, eh, fishermen, mm-hmm. boatmen, sometimes yung parang sa resort, yung staff ng resort. And then they would have freediving yeah. licenses at the end of it. So they can use it also for their resume and stuff like that. So those are happy things that I've been doing with at least the skills that I learned from Kapit Sisid. Okay, so then the second one would be another community in Zamboanga, Sibugay. I really love that province. <laughs> so <laughs> <kina ko doon. laughs> We recently just finished our case study on this fishing community. Their name is KGMC. Kapunungan ng Kagmayang Mangingista. Sa conception, barangay conception. Yeah, KGMC. And I think there's just so many things to say about this case study. But the one thing that I'd like to mention is that environmental conservation is 
fundamental. It's the foundation of their social and enterprise work. Like you look at KGMC, you, you can search them. They've got a lot of material out online. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time they will mention the fishers are doing well economically. And then they'll also mention how they were able to plant mangroves. I think it was like 600 hectares or something. Wow. In Zambanga Sibuke Bay, yeah, collectively. One of the things that struck me about that group was the way that they were accounting for, you know, all of the transactions, right? Mm -hmm. So we say that they're economically successful, but how? How are they economically successful? And of course, me being the environmental economist, I was like, okay, let's go and look at their data. (laughs) Let's go and look at their data. And their data, and I'm going to send this Nikas to you, the picture. All right. Their data is logbooks upon logbooks of handwritten transactions you know so on the column headers you have the species that they were bought so the sizes of the shrimp for example and then on the rows you have their the names of the fishers oh yeah so what that tells me yung data structure nila you know just the structure of the data tells me how very personal yung data na yon. you know what i mean so it's yeah. per fisher you record how much they were able to sell to you and then how much you gave them as cash advance. So you have the transactions from the buyer also. Okay, number one is that you don't get this data anywhere. You know, I've been to a lot of fishing communities in the Philippines and they don't record. Yeah. Normally, you have your hands wet handling all the fish and stuff. So normally, you don't have a paper trail. But this one did. And number two, parang... It was so organic and so so fresh. I had pictures of all of the logbook pages and I was just encoding each one. And each one was precious data. Because sabihin mo na na parang it's just kilos and amounts and stuff. But you'd see the relationship of the fisher to his buyer, right? Mm-hmm. There's just so many findings from it. Eh? But one of them is that the buyers, they don't ask for interest when they make pautang, oh. right? They just ask for the fish that the fisherman caught. Tapos, they know exactly when the fisher needs something. Makita mo eh, how much they give out in cash advances. So, wala lang. Yeah, you'd, you'd have that. And then the seasonal variations and stuff like that. But just from that paper and pencil, na medyo unstructured yung data. Basta they have rows and headers. You know, you can get so much of it. So to me, you know, after the whole case study, every time I hear, oh, the Philippines is data poor or there's no information so much about rural communities and stuff like that. I said, no, it's, <laughs> I guess we're just not looking in the right places or we're not asking the right questions you know and also we have to realize that it's very personal so yeah we have to again with the human approach in philippine research no parang it's so precious to them these data and sometimes we take that for granted pero parang for me it pretty much shapes the way that i do my research it's very human aspect of it i could actually feel yung you geeking out <laughs> parang while you were talking about parang ako na- naging excited na rin ako about data kasi I was listening to you like uh, just geeking out about these numbers and the fact that nakakapag-keep sila ng record of this data and a lot of things actually stood out dun sa huling kinuwento mo but I'll just focus on a couple of them 
one is yung misconception that the Philippines is data poor. Maybe the people who are saying that or the people who need this data but don't have access to it are just not looking in the right places or asking the right questions or asking the right people. Yun yung siguro yung una. And then, pangalawa, it's really impressive that such an organized system, prove that such an organized system, kahit napaka-simple nung execution niya, can be a big boon or a big help for these communities na hindi mo aasahan, no? hindi naman sa judgmental, pero you don't expect them to have time or yung basa yung kamay, they're busy trying to like catch the fish and magre-record pa ba yung mga yan? Kung tayo nga mga nagtatrabaho sa opisina or ano, minsan tabad mag-record ng kung ano-ano, pero grabe yung attention to detail and yung pag-recognize sila ng importansya ng data and yung keeping record, keeping track of these things. And then one more thing is yung nabanggit mo kanina na they had a successful mangrove planting project. Kasi naalala ko na ang dami-daming, syempre babalik na naman, parang roller coaster tong podcast na to kasi from, from bad to good to bad. So medyo, medyo ano lang, warning lang papunta tayo sa bad ulit. Naalala ko kasi na ang daming mga issues on nag-re-release ng invasive species to, I think ang inakanaalala ko dito is yung nagpakawala siya ng cane toads yung isang barangay at ay nagpakawala ng cane toads to solve their mosquito problem or something like that. And then, di ba? And then yung mga nagtatanim ng mangroves or trees in places where they're not supposed to be there or yung species, hindi yun yung species na nag-grow talaga doon. So instead of like solving the problem, medyo nakakagawa ng panibagong problema. And then you have the plastic pollution problem na medyo natatakot na ako na We've been hearing about it so much, year in and year out, na baka nadedesensitize na yung tao about it. And of course, we have things like the Manila Bay Dolomite Beach Project na talagang, uh, I ended up writing an entire article about it, an opinion piece about it, kasi nga I was so, I was just so frustrated. But what I'm trying to get at is that there's no shortage of these environment-related problems in the Philippines, even though pag tinignan mo sa ground level, parang ginagawa naman ng mga tao yung tama nilang gawin. And above and beyond pa nga, people you don't expect to do these things to undergo the necessary steps, sila pa yung gumagawa talaga. Pero yung mga problema natin, parang hindi nauubos. So, bakit kaya? What do you think? <laughs> That's a very loaded question there, Rick. <laughs> Um, I think I wrote here on my notes doing nothing. I had a press con with Agham kasi the other month about Dolomite Beach, September atayon. They keep saying, yeah, we have to do something. We have to do something to improve the quality of water in Manila Bay. We fail to realize that sometimes doing nothing might be better for the environment, actually. Mm-hmm. So, for example, this is actually a very basic, fundamental principle in environmental economics. It's what is the marginal impact of environmental investment. So, for example, in Manila Bay, we're saying that dumping dolomite in that specific spot will improve the water quality, which is the main problem in Manila Bay. That's what we want to solve, water quality. But we fail to realize that maybe dolomite might not, you know, solve that. It might not fix the quality of water. And you can reinvest the money that you spent on dolomite to other more impactful projects, such as, you know, fixing the sewage system, for example. And I think that's what they've gone and done. And that's why we're seeing some improvement in the, in water quality, but yeah. 
doing nothing is also an environmental policy. And sometimes, parang we don't realize that. And so sometimes we invest in projects that do more harm than good. Okay, lang meron tayong grand gesture to show everyone that we're doing something. I know, exactly. Exactly, like the cane toad thing, right? Maybe if we did something else, or if we just, you know, the alternative is if we're introducing cane toads and not introducing cane toads. Not introducing is actually a better <laughs> alternative, right? To that other one. Yeah. And invasive species also. But if you just left the mangrove forest alone, it would have probably spread out by itself. Yeah. In a few years. I think I've been lamenting on this recently, but maybe we have to readjust our timelines. That's another fundamental principle in environmental economics that sometimes benefits. They really do take years to realize especially in environmental projects right yeah so we have to be patient and we have to realize or we have to trust in the ecosystem in actually reviving itself and i keep saying this actually because i'm in coral reef science right that's my research focus you know the corals in the philippines they're like weeds (laughs) if you just (laughs) remove the source of stress yeah yeah Uh If you just remove this source of stress, they can, you know, unless they don't have a source for new coral recruits, like wala nang nearby coral reef that will recruit, it can recover. It will bounce back in a few years, more than in other places. I wasn't able to emphasize earlier with the KGMC case study, the importance of, yun nga, diba? So I talked to you about other sources of data. That sometimes we're not looking in the right place or asking the right questions. But then also related to that is because I'm in development work. So mm-hmm. Our metrics sometimes, it's what affects the way that we ask questions. So for example, in our finding kasi sa KGMC is we didn't find that the income that they're getting, the fishers, was enough to push them out of poverty. Uh-huh. Yung poverty line, yeah. diba? So a minimum amount of income so that we can say that you're not poor. So we couldn't find that. And so if you're just using that metric, you can say that they failed. Oh. You know what I mean? Yeah. But look at what they're proud of. And then maybe you can figure out like what their definition of success is, what their definition of development is, right? Yeah. Is it really getting back all the loans that, you know, you loaned out to fishers or is it seeing that their lives are improved because you just lent them this little money and they were able to do something productive with it. So this is a learning for me as a researcher that I have to be also careful with the metrics that I choose when I want to assess if it was a good investment or not, you know, and that's, that's also a fundamental principle in environmental economics. Yeah, ang ganda nung sinabi mo kasi parang ang cliche yun. Pero parang hindi naman lahat nasusukat sa pera lang. Which is ironic coming from someone with an economics background. Given na yung usual stereotype, di ba, would be titingin sa pera. One last thing though, in this discussion, parang na-bring up yung concept ng environmental economics. So can you talk a little bit about that and maybe give us a quick overview of how it is in the Philippine setting? Yeah, okay. I guess to make it short... <laughs> You are the assessor to say whether or not a project is successful or not. So you can be evaluating at the end of the project and then also evaluate 
at the beginning or before a project is undertaken. It's to say whether or not it's a good investment or not. Diba? Mm-hmm. It's easy to measure, let's say, a project like COVID-19 vaccination drives. Because you can say the cost of health services that na save ng mga vaccinated people. Yes, that's your benefit, right? Uh, that's that's cost your benefit, impact. Uh, exactly cost benefit. In environmental economics, we have to make up a measure because you know your output is number of trees yeah. <laughs> or yes, exactly. diba? uh, hectares of coral saved by doing this ganyan tapos you have to take into account pa the uncertainty sa growth ng whatever ecosystem diba yeah the way we do it actually this is how it's being done in the rest of the world we put a premium on putting value a dollar or peso value on things that cannot be measured in money So in my case, I dedicated three years of my career, <laughs> of my research, uh-huh. figuring out what the non-use value is of coral reefs. So basically, people in Manila who have never seen a coral reef, who do not get benefits from it, how much are they willing to pay so that coral reefs are saved? And I feel like that was my first three publications ever where I was first author. And after that series, I felt like, why do we have to go... the roundabout way of saving coral reefs when we can just directly do it. You know, yeah. why do we have to measure benefits and costs pa? When you can see that if you just leave the coral reefs as it is, you can't measure the benefits that coral reefs give. You can't put a price on it. Because if we do, then that saying, coral reefs are only valuable as long as we can get money from it. Oh, economic value lang. And that's so oh. dangerous. Money value lang. Diba? If it's not valuable to tourism, tatanggalin mo, mag-reclaim ka, diba? Oh, yeah. The value of a view underwater. How, what, what money value can you put there? So, environmental economists, they try their hardest to make a proxy value to just something so that they can do a proper cost benefit but i feel like yeah the way that i want to take it is just more direct action you know no need for an analyst basically <laughs> it's just giving yeah. people the power to choose no especially people who live near there who use it actually. yes yun nga kung nakita mo naman yung kagandahan or yung magandang na idudulot ng ginagawa mo to help conserve or save the environment, don't have to allocate like a monetary amount or value on it. Exactly. Interesting para sa akin yung, yung mismong field ng environmental economics. Sorry, I'm, I'm ignorant. Is there a course that you're aware of that you can take here in the Philippines? Or do you take economics and then just branch out like kind of like what you did? I don't know if there is mm-hmm. an environmental economics course. There is actually very few environmental economists in the Philippines. Uh-huh. Normally, you'd have to go the roundabout way. Oh. For example... Everything I know about environmental economics, I learned from my co-author, mm-hmm. who is an Australian professor, diba? So, parang, nakatrabaho ko lang siya sa, sa project, but I did not get it from my professors here. Maybe just an overview, but not really. Mm, okay. Everything I've learned from you dito sa ating interview, I think a lot of projects here in the Philippines na related to the environment would maybe benefit from having the perspective or expertise of an environmental economist kung yung masama sa team nila. And, yeah, nabanggit yan. If someone wanted to reach out to you, maybe because they want to talk to an environmental economist, consult with you, 
or learn more about the work that you do, what's the best way to reach out to you? I'm not sure. I have it on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> and I made a card website, but that's basically it. My email is on the card website. It's just tarabrina.card.co. And then on Instagram, it's tarabrina as well. So we'll see it there. All right. And well, Nasabi ko lagi sa mga guests ko. I always say that I learned a lot from our interview, but I really did learn a lot ngayon. Lalo na, you know, things that I didn't think I would learn, like talking about science topic. So medyo nag-broaden pa yung aking perspective in terms of the economic side of things. Yay! The whole systemic problem na hindi natin masasolve realistically ng tayo-tayo lang. So it really has to be sustained action. And there really has to be more people na coming out there and talking about these things. but you know, if, if people want to follow in your footsteps and become environmental economists here in the Philippines or apply yung aspects or things we learn in economics to the Philippine setting, what would be your advice to them? Well, you know, if you want to go the way that I did, you start off with freediving. But you could actually, if you're already in the environment sector, you could try and dabble into... Actually, you touch on it if you do policy, naman, environmental policy. Because, you know, environmental economics is a tool for that. I don't want to say that you need to have a degree, a master's degree related. But for me, the best way really is to, no, you know, ako, free diving, yes. But more to say, you have to get your feet wet and you have to be there to see what we stand to lose without a price tag. And then, ka with fishers who actually get the brunt of all of these environmental projects. Whatever, if it's a success or not, sila talaga yung ano, matatamaan. So, for me, you don't need to do all of the accounting stuff. I'm very lucky because social science, you can actually learn on your feet, right? You can learn on the ground with it. That's beautiful. Learn from experience, immerse yourself, and not everything that you can apply in this line of work comes from school or are things that you can learn from books. So, yun, thank you so much, Tara. I really had fun talking about, I think kung nag-focus tayo sa mga problema ng Pilipinas, baka sobrang haba na nitong podcast na to. I think we both share like a lot of sentiments about the systemic problems in the country. But, you know, it gives me hope. But yeah, for another time, and definitely, I hope you'll be, you know, game to be on the podcast again to talk about this. For another time. Pero, <laughs> yeah, and it gives me hope that, you know, people like you are working so actively on this and not only working, like applying your expertise, but also paving the way for more inclusive environmental conservation for people to have, or not just the scientists, but for the general public to have a broader, dare I say, science-based perspective on the social issues that are relevant to us in present Philippine society. And hopefully this can help them make better science-based decisions. So yeah, thank you so much for your time and expertise. And I hope to hear more about your research. Definitely, pag natapos nyo yung paper nyo, looking into the problems of procurement and the other challenges that STEM workers face here, sana ma-share nyo sa amin. And yeah, take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Ask Theory. Follow Flip Science on Facebook, at Flip Science PH on Twitter, and at Flip Facts on Instagram. And check out our official Shopee store if you want to get copies of our books, Historiang Scientifico and Science Scramble. Stay curious!